Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters, from the Zamboni Company. Our guest today, Bob Anoka, who's the Arena Services Manager for Athletica Sports Systems, and Bruce Irving, who is the VP of NHL Sales and Research and Development. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for taking time to be with us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. It's great to see a couple of the fellow dinosaurs in the industry. <laughs> uh, there seems to be quite a few of us lately. <laughs> well, we're slowly dying off, but uh, I'm glad to see that you guys are hanging in there. Yeah. Going extinct, I think, is the word. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> could be, could be. Bob and Bruce, uh, could you guys take a, a couple minutes and share with us about uh, your families? Uh, present day and uh, when you're young, which was only a couple of years ago, and uh, where both of you guys grew up. Um, I get, yeah, I'll go ahead. Um, I, um, I grew up in the Toronto area, the greater Toronto area, and um, spent most of my life there till about 12, 12 years of age. And then I headed up, my uncles looked after me and started in the far farming business and uh, ranching, racehorses, thoroughbred racehorses. And we moved out west to uh, British Columbia, where um, same thing was into farming, looking after cattle, horses, and I did a lot of rodeo out there. And came back to Ontario in my later years, and got busted up in a rodeo, and started my carpentry and welding career from there. So that's kind of how I've moved around a little bit in Canada. Great. So I know somebody who can give me tips on betting the ponies. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll expect a tip sheet for for this weekend. I've got my account uh, with Twin Spires all lined up, and uh, I'm looking for some superfecta and uh, trifecta stuff. Okay. <laughs> How about you, Bobby? I think you're a native of Minnesota, like I am. You're right, Doug. Is uh, I grew up south of Minneapolis, about 30 miles, in a small farming community. Um, I, my my family, if you will, or my grandparents ran a business in downtown New Prague, which was the location, uh, for about 40 years or so. Growing up, I spent a fair bit of time working in various aspects of that business. And um, then um, eventually went uh, moved to Minneapolis to go to school, to go to trade school, uh, which eventually is maybe jumping ahead, but how we got into the rink business is as a result of that. Well, I was thinking it might be New Prague being that hockey hotbed that it is that might have uh, landed you in this business. Actually, it's, it's funny you say that, a little little anecdote on that side, right? Uh, graduating, going to school and graduating, we did. Uh, they were, there was no indoor ice arena. We just had the mill pond to skate at. And reality was is the rink attendant would actually uh, kick you off the ice sheet if you brought hockey sticks or hockey skates or pucks because you'd be injuring the uh, pleasure skaters out there. So... There basically was no hockey back, you know, in the 70s when I grew up uh, down in New Prague. So uh, obviously they got their ice arena in later years. I think it's probably one of those things that uh, better known for some baseball and one of the writers yeah. for the local papers, Mr. Royce, uh, is always <laughs> talking about uh, baseball down in that part of the state. Exactly. Yeah. Baseball is uh, certainly probably number one or, or at least uh, co-shared with football, right? Is, uh, they had a pretty good high school football program for a while. So that's what they're most proud of. Bruce, could you tell um, our listeners a bit about 
uh, your career path. You talked a little bit about welding and carpentry uh, and such, but uh, what is it that uh, branched you out into the ice rink world? Oh, um, I was um, up north and I ran a business up north in a recession hit. I was uh, building custom homes and renovating old houses. And um, during the recession, I just came back down the city, helped my mom out. She was just going through a rough bit. And I answered a job at an uh, um, unemployment uh, place. And in there, there was just looking for a welder carpenter, which I was. So I showed up on site. And in those days, we did what was called a built on site. And they just sent all the steel, all the plastic and everything. It just landed as raw material on site. And you just built a hockey rink and put it together. And I stood there and looked at this whole deal. And the night, the greatest thing that attracted me to it was I was indoors. I wasn't getting rained on. No more snow issues. No more. So it was a, it was a one in a million shot. And I just jumped in with both feet and said, there I am. Here I go. Been there ever since. Never looked back. That's my number one line to new guys starting in the industry, too, is that I don't walk in dirty old mud holes and things like that as a carpenter would and breaking up forms, carrying 120 pound forms up out, the, out of the dirt holes that I used to do and everything else that here I'm on a concrete floor. It's nice and level. It's pretty clean and <laughs> it's good living. It's easy work and away I go. So. If only HGTV would have been around back in the day, you might have had your TV show before <laughs> Parikh and uh, all the people from yeah. Mississippi and all these other shows that are going on down there. You could have been the tallest flip-flopper of houses in the industry. Yeah, yes. <laughs> the gal in Texas would have nothing on Bruce. <laughs> Bruce, do you remember the very first rink that you were out to that you uh, put together a set of dasher boards on? Oh, yeah. 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 And where yeah. would that be? That was in uh, Newmarket, Newmarket, Ontario. Really? So was, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, just around the corner from Jedi's. Um, and in those days, this is this is a funny one, is uh, so we'd weld all the steel and we'd put anchor plates down every four feet with four anchors in it weld a steel post on that, weld steel stringers and everything. And when we actually were finished, my comment was, when the Zamboni driver hits these dasher boards, he will have a concussion. And that's how we looked at back in those days. We have to build these things so they're indestructible. We thought nothing about player safety. There was none of that. It was just build these things so that that Zamboni runs into it. That guy's got a concussion. So that was, that's how we left them. So that's going to lead me to a question that I joke around with um, with customers. Do you guys really send commissions out to the resurfacer manufacturers? And maybe Marty Elliott gets a, a little kickback on every electric machine he sells because the electric machine is definitely heavier and is likely to win the battle with the dasher boards. Or is that just a, a rumor that might have been started down here in the States by some crazy sales guy? Oh, uh, it could be. Um, we do send a box of beer and a case of whiskey to the monster truck runs. So we kind of put that out to the drivers real early. Um, that seems to help out, especially when it's the off season for us in February and that. The, the monster trucks are number one at taking out stuff. So that That's always good. It's like I've said, there's nothing wrong with a convenient fire if it destroys the right part of the building. <laughs> 
<laughs> Bobby, you Agreed. and I go back a long ways, and I've seen you with uh, multiple companies. How is it that uh, you got your start? Uh, maybe is your first job working for the Homeson company in the rink industry, or was there one before that? No, that that was the first one. No, a good a good recall, dog. Exactly right, right. I surely enjoyed going back, uh, you know, with you and obviously your father back in in Bloomington, and uh, he was always a pleasure to work with and uh, be able to visit with him about everything from uh, what Dick Homeson was doing to uh, what's going on in the baseball world for sure. Um, no, that was it. Is uh, when I went, moved to the cities uh, to go to trade school, it was a program called environmental systems design. And uh, the core of that program was refrigeration, air conditioning, and heating design. And after completion of that course, is uh, I got hired right out of the, the, the course, if you will, by Homestead Ice Rinks. And so to that end, uh, as you know, Homestead spawned a lot of the the, uh, the companies and the personnel out in the industry. And uh, so to that end, originally I was hired uh, because of the refrigeration background. And uh, we had various roles at the time. Initially, you start out with just doing layout uh, blueprints, uh, drafting, if you will. Um, we'd, we'd get a new ring contract and have to lay out the, the mains from the chiller room to the, to the rink and or uh, the dashboard system. Um, and then eventually gravitated to some arena services work, which even included uh, doing some compressor rebuilds in the early years and changing shaft seals and springs and valves and things like that. Um, the, the fortunate part was that didn't last real long. So I'd do that for you know a year or so, then the position would change. Uh, the one thing though that, um, and, and that's really how I got into the dashboard business for the ice rink world, actually back in 1979, actually. Um, the other thing that was sort of interesting is um, back at Homestead, because they were relatively small staff, um, you know, in all hands on deck, you'd have projects. So truly within uh, two months of coming out of school and never uh, playing hockey or really seeing much in the way of indoor ice rinks, I got put on a plane and sent to Long Island, New York to supervise a floor installation. And all I had to know was they're 256 pipes and they're four inches apart. And it didn't matter. We could be putting marshmallows through those pipes. It didn't matter as long as it made ice. That's all the customer had to, had to know. It we were going to make good ice for them. So, a uh, lot of lot of good experiences that way. Is that rink still around, Bobby, or is it uh, gone uh, by the wayside? It was Nassau Coliseum on that really? hangar there. I don't know if that's still there, but that was the one. That was the first okay. one I had to deal with. Oh. So you went to a trade school. Which trade school was that? Uh, that was used to be called uh, Dunwoody Industrial Institute. Now uh, they've changed their name, but uh, still in existence. If you will, one of the big things, aside from the fact that you get an education, was that uh, it was all about discipline and protocol, right? And um, because they wanted to prepare you for your working career, they actually did things like there was a time clock. You actually had to punch in every day when you went to school. You had to punch in by 8 a.m. on your time card. You had to punch out at the end of the day. If you miss six days in two years, you were expelled. So the employers hiring out of there, which there was, you know, like 200% placement rate and that there were two jobs for every person graduating. They knew they were getting somebody who uh, could tend to the, the requirements and were going to be dependable. So it was fortunate at that time, if you will. It, it's no wonder you and my father got along so well, because that's where he, uh, he had some schooling as well as my uncle and... A buddy of mine's dad uh, was from there, and 
Um, I actually took some courses uh, with uh, Tommy from a trout line from really? Augsburg down from Augsburg down there. We took some night refrigeration courses. Uh, and <laughs> there's also another guy that worked at Augsburg that I can't remember his name, but Tommy, I remember because of his uh, grappling career um, that he had <laughs> on the side of besides being a, a Zamboni machine driver and uh, working at Augsburg for JC down there, who was one of the crazier uh, <laughs> ring managers in the industry. <laughs> Wow, you bring them back some names and some memories there, Doug. Oh, me. it's it's part of being a dinosaur, Bob. It's uh, a lot of stuff that's stuck in my head that I just can't get rid of, unfortunately. <laughs> so, Bruce, you explained a little bit about why uh, you had a hankering to get into the rink industry, not having to walk through mud holes, carrying forms and such. What else attracted you to the ice rink industry? Um, the company at the time, Crystalplex, uh, it, it was a small group of people and they were really, really friendly people, like, um, amazing people to just get information from as I was learning this trade and this, this whole new way of building things. Um, and then a fellow by the name of Dougie Moore, uh, once I started in the installation part of it, uh, the NHL was kind of building all the new barns and we were trying to get things going real quick. And Dougie Moore was sort of their go-to guy. And I would meet him at all these new NHL buildings and he'd take me out to lunch almost every time he'd see me and spend a half an hour just explaining how the industry worked and who were the players and who is this and things like that. And it was just uh, the people I would say was the most important part of this whole deal. And, and still is today. Um, my, uh, my customers are most of the time are my my best friends, just people I hang around with quite a bit. And those times when we get in tight times, they're the the people I have the best laughs with too. So, yeah, I would say people, absolutely. Well, Dougie Moore is a great guy. He and my dad uh, shared a lot in common in guys that go back to taking care of NHL ice. And uh, unfortunately, neither one of them are with us anymore. To uh, to bounce things off of, but what one name I want to throw at you is uh, um, there was a motto that <clears throat> I think he used, and uh, along with a few of my golf buddies out here in California, um, if it's free, it's for me. Does that uh, sound like anybody you might have worked with at uh, Athletica or not at Athletica at Cristoplex that uh, rings a bell for you, or do I need to give another clue? Yeah, that sounds like uh, Doug Valance. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I was, he's another character, but I was yeah. thinking more along the lines of Brian Townsend. And I'm oh, guess oh, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, there yeah, might yeah, be a yeah, few yeah. stories that you could share of uh, Mr. Townsend in his time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Townsend, yeah, he's a he's a one of one of his kind. I have one on Doug that's a pretty pretty priceless one. So it was every once in a while we'd have to go on the phone and start calling customers and say, hey. Um, you're kind of late on the check. Uh, when do we expect to see it and things like that? And they would tell us, well, when we get the rest of the order or when it's finished, things things going back and forth. But we we're chasing money. And, and Doug Valance, I remember him one day, his desk was right across from me. And uh, he picks up the phone. He's talking to the customer. He says, John, just quit embarrassing yourself and send us a check. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
uh, did you get the check? Yeah, we got the check. Because right? <laughs> Doug, Doug was the only one that could talk to somebody like that. <laughs> you didn't take it as an insult. You just realized, okay, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> oh, I can remember Mr. Townsend trying to convince uh, some certain patrons of a bar out in Vancouver uh, that I was an NHL player and a, a Washington Capital, and for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the guy. But uh, I made a exit stage right real quick to get out of a situation that I saw was not going to go anywhere that would be <laughs> beneficial to me. So, <laughs> but some great, great characters in the uh, in the industry. Bobby, how about you? What attracted you to the rink industry? Other, you got your gig with uh, Holmson to start out with. You've stuck around for quite a while. I think you got more years in than I do. But uh, <laughs> what is it that attracted you to stay uh, in you the know, industry? You know, I, I think it's it a, there's a combination of things. I think one was, um, you know, it, like truly in some ways happenstance that I was able to end up at Homeson where I did. And and the great part of there was there were a lot of opportunities. And, and because they built the refrigeration systems and had the accessory department and the dashboard division, um, there are a lot of different, if you will, career paths or steps up the ladder within that. And uh, so I was able to sort of uh, had a lot of opportunities to grow, if you will, and take on more responsibility. And I think um, so because that seemed to work and was successful, bright opportunities, um, I was certainly was satisfied in the way of in terms of um, the variety of the tasks I was responsible for. And of course, learning more things about the industry and learning all aspects of sort of the ring construction. So I think it was more along the lines of um, there were challenges all the time, which, you know, were personally satisfying to deal with and learn. And then the other part of it was because we were certainly building ice rinks, certainly across all 50 states and, of course, some foreign work, uh, got to do a fair bit of traveling, right? And that always gave, you know, gave you a little variety instead of being in the office all the time. So um, it was those two things. And really then the last thing being, you know, this is year 41, and in 41 years, um, the, the industry has always been there. The market's always been there. There's always been work opportunities within the industry, and that's pretty amazing. Granted, we just went through COVID, and that was probably the worst of the 41 years, was really probably last year, and for everybody involved in the rink industry. Uh, but there's always been business. When the economy gets tough, uh, these facilities will need to be updated or at least kept safe or playable. And of course, when the economy turns around, you have a lot of new construction. So there always was demands for our services. Um, so that was always, I think, the cool part. So sort of was a combination of those three things, interesting, challenging, consistent, and variety, um, let alone, as you mentioned, all the different personalities. And that in itself is a whole nother, you know, book of, of the folks that we've run into. And was one of those interesting and challenging things uh, the rink disaster or the rink master ice resurfacer, Bobby? <laughs> that was one of them. That was uh, I wasn't directly involved, but that but being within the company, it was one of those uh, I think business lessons you learn that uh, sometimes you shouldn't let your ego get in the way, and uh, there's smarter business decisions. But uh, absolutely, there was uh, that was part of it as well. That was a but, unique piece of equipment back in the day. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I hate to say it, but I know there were times that uh, the uh, supply chain seemed to uh, fall apart for the uh, axles and drivetrains. So I know that uh, 
our purchasing manager from time to time would be uh, trying to rummage around and even find stuff, I think, in salvage yards, trying to come up with uh, units and equipment. So, uh, yeah, things are a little dicey from time to time. Well, it was a happy day for us when Mr. Holmston decided that uh, maybe he would be better suited for being in the ice rink uh, building world instead of the ice resurfacer building world. Yeah, let's uh, let's call it a day after uh, Unit 50 or whatever it was, 45 or whatever, and <laughs> yeah, think think better of it. Yep. Uh, Bruce, when did you know that this was going to be what you were going to spend your career doing or the bulk of your business career? Um, it was early in the career, 95, actually, it was, um, it was Montreal Canadians were opening up their new building and we had some issues with some of the, an installer and a few sales reps that had gone into the building prior to that. And I got the call middle of the night, actually, from Pat Livingston, if I would be able to go and do the Montreal Canadians install. And I was fairly new at it, and the system was a seamless glass system. It's probably the third one we had manufactured in our company. And uh, being the green guy on the street, and I was happy. And once I got there, uh, things really turned out to be in my favor, just the way it worked out with the personnel that were there, people that were there at the time. In Francois Martindale, him and I are still great friends after that. Um, it was uh, it was a time when I was just sort of hung my hat up and said, hey, I installed the dasher boards at the Montreal Canadiens. Even did a film of me doing it, and that was the introduction for opening night. When I got home, I didn't even know it was going to be uh, put on CBC, and it was. And people were phoning me up and saying, hey, I seen you on TV and things like that. And it was kind of a here I am, and it was it was uh, it was a big moment for me at that time. So that was 95, you say? Yep, 95. So just a couple of years after the last time a Canadian team's won the Stanley Cup. Hmm. Yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you had something to do with that success. <laughs> <laughs> it's all just good-natured ribbing. Come on, guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't started the 1967 chant yet, but uh, that's in the background. And a, a certain compadre of mine that guaranteed that a team wearing blue and white with a maple leaf on the front of their jerseys was going to win the Stanley Cup this year. And um, I guess that uh, that meme that's going around, I don't know if you've seen it, Bruce or Bob, but uh, the meme with uh, Phil Pritchard handing out the golf bag, which I guess has been the annual presentation to Leaf fans <laughs> and players since 1967. <laughs> but appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> and Bob, how about you? Um, when did you know? I, I You've been in the industry for a while, um, but what was it that you said, okay, I'm going to stick through this. I'm sure there probably was an opportunity at some point in time to maybe go a different direction, but you've been a staple in the industry for so long. Uh, yeah, I think it really it, it got down um, once I got to, uh, let me think here, about uh, you know, 15, 16 years into it. And through, you alluded to earlier, through the various corporate changes and acquisitions and, and all kinds of things, business experiences, um, there was a time that when we're going through some of those short-lived experiences that, you know, maybe there's some other opportunities you should look at. But then you also realize that, so in my working world, I've got 15 years of experience of learning things for the, that are beneficial in the ice rink or value to the ice rink market. And now you go outside to, let's say, just construction or any other uh, market, 
and all of a sudden you don't have those 15 years on your resume, if you will. So it's like, you know, I think really I've come to realize I've, I've learned a lot, but I also have more value to this industry. And so I, it's on sort of a, probably a selfish basis. You know, I think we'll just stay the course. Plus, we enjoy it. I mean, it, I love working with the various people. And that's one of the best parts of, of the job is talking to people from all over the country on a regular basis. Um, so I love that part of it. It's like, you know what, there's, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. Let's just stay the course. And, you know, the other thing, too, is it's not like there is a trade school to go to Dasher school. I mean, there is no such thing. So it is really, uh, you know, pull on your, your boots and get after it and, uh, you know, learn learn on the job, you know, on the job training. So it was all good. Well, and I think it's one of those things that when you develop the relationships that you have and Bruce has and uh, that I have over the years with customers, um, you you enjoy that and I don't know if any job's going to be perfect uh, 365 days out of the year, but I, I think we've all been pretty lucky in that we've been in an industry for a very long time, met some great people. I consider you guys to be some of uh, my good friends of the industry, and it, it's fun just getting together, and it'd be nice when we can get together in person again and uh, share a barley pop or whatever it is yeah. and uh, yeah. just – just chat again, like like what yeah. we're doing right now. This is I, I enjoy this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you're 100 percent right. It's not just business. It truly is. You feel like you're you're with friends most of the time in terms of the acquaintances. It, Bob, you mentioned something about Holmston. Has there ever been a tabulation of how many offshoots there've been, uh, company wise? I mean, the, the Joel Andersons and. Uh, Chili Willie, well, the premier ice, Kurt Steinhauser, uh, how many different companies uh, were spun off of Holmston uh, that became competitors? Yeah, exactly. No, you hit on the head. I don't know if there's been not a necessarily formal list, but uh, certainly a half a dozen long, I think, in terms of whether it's, you know, the Becker Arena products and Jim Becker or whether it's, uh, you know, Daryl Cox and Burley and Chris Banna and Davis Mechanical and, and, um, you know, I don't know if I mentioned Dale Anderson and the service department and those type of things. So absolutely, they certainly, uh, it was the spawning ground for uh, a lot of people in the industry for sure. And it was, it was actually at the time, it was a great place to work. They were, they were really phenomenal uh, family to work for. Well, I can remember an experience with the Holmston boys out in Caesar's Palace at a Japanese restaurant having uh, teppanyaki, sushi, and some sake. That was a, a great, a great experience. So, uh, shout out to any of the Holmston boys yeah. that are still yeah. around, yeah. Chuck, Allen, and uh, the rest of the gang. Yeah, and Bob, exactly. Yep. Uh, okay, gentlemen, you guys have had to travel a little bit in your careers. Uh, Bruce, why don't you kick it off with your worst traveling experience ever? Oh, that'd be um. Australia back to Canada. So we we're doing uh, their Olympic Center there. And I, had, um, I was a single parent raising my little girl, and I kind of put the plug in the jug for 17 years. My little girl growing up and everything else, and I'm in Australia, and I met a guy by the name of Flanagan, good Irishman, and uh, he insisted upon me having a drink with him one night. So from one drink and it led to another one, and then he proceeded to tell me about the bar he owned, and he wanted me to go to the bar with him. I said, once I finish the job and we're all done, he was also the contractor of the job. Every day at lunchtime, he'd come out and he'd 
slide out two 24s of beer on the sheet of ice and say, four o'clock, boys, so let's get opened up. And then we all sit there and have a beer at the end of the job. But the last night I was there, uh, beautiful, it was in Melbourne, Australia, beautiful city. So we go to this bar, it was a fancy place downtown. And it was his, and his kids all ran it and everything else like that, beautiful place. But we decided to start drinking probably about six in the afternoon and uh, pretty much drink everything that he had in-house. So after that, I got in a cab and went back to the apartment I had rented. And the next day, I'm flying out like at 6 a.m. in the morning, typical flight. And uh, all the clothes I had on was just shorts and a, a nice light shirt. I just took them off and threw them in the washing machine, threw them in the dryer in the morning, got up, threw on my clothes, grabbed my bag, and was ready to go out the door. And I realized, uh-oh, where's my passport? Only to find it on the inside of the washing machine stuck to the washing machine soaking wet so and i am hung over like bad 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 hangover. i get to the airport now they're thinking i shouldn't be getting on the plane <laughs> not just because of my hangover but because of my passport and then they realized it was probably better to get me out of their country so <laughs> on the plane i went and i missed a chance of going on first class <laughs> so now i'm back in coach that trip all the way to New York was was really, really rough, or, or to L.A. And from L.A., I did end up on first class, but I could barely get in my seat. I could be, The guy beside me was putting a blanket on me and tightening down my seatbelt. I was in such bad shape. It was, it was, <laughs> the, wor- the worst flight to ever start drinking on, right? Like, it's just one of those bad deals, just a bad deal. Bobby, what about you? You know, it, it, it's probably nothing real major, but um, many years ago, back when I was at Homestead, as we got a contract through SMG to build, a, put the boards in in uh, Sheffield, England. So I had to go to Sheffield for for a site measurement, actually, and then a, also a, a sales call to the HOK office over there in London. So we did that. Um, and at the time, this was, I guess, I don't know, back in late 80s, probably. And uh, I think it was about then or early 90s, somewhere in there. And back then uh, I had a Samsonite black suitcase. That's what I carried my, you know, my tape measure and my my tablets and my job uh, folders and files with. And and so obviously flew from uh, here to the Gatwick and then Sheffield and back maybe through New York or something. But in any case, every step of the way, whenever you'd get off the plane and go through security, you know, they'd run you through, but I'd get pulled out and taken to the side for an extra pat down, an extra check, an extra interrogation. And it just happened at every single one. And I was like, what is going on? Why am I singled out? You know, I, I thought I was a pretty normal citizen. Well, it turns out at the end, one of the guys advised that the reason I was getting all the extra attention is because of this black Samsonite, that there are a number of hijackings and plane bombings. And what was in common with them is they all had black Samsonites. So I happen to have the uh, the suitcase of, of choice for bombers, and so I got the special attention. So that one was just sort of like, okay, so there's a few things going on that you might not realize. So, and that Bob, was a good trip. Bob the Unabomber Vinoka. Yeah, yeah, there you go, exactly, <laughs> alias. <laughs> Gentlemen, I'm going to assume, uh, and I've heard a little uh, little buzz in the the air. Um, about uh, careers coming uh, closer to the end. What do you guys uh, envision doing 
uh, when you're done with your career of the ice rink world. Bobby, you want to kick it off? Sure. Um, really, in, in no particular order, and, and certainly uh, the, the task to be maybe further divine, defined and developed, but um, for the most part, obviously, it's going to spend a fair bit of time, uh, more, more time fishing and uh, recreating and, um, uh, if you will, biking. And my wife and I enjoy biking, so more things along those lines, um, A. And then um, I do like uh, doing home projects, those types of things. So, you know, got uh, some deck work and some other projects for home. I like, you know, I'm not one to sit in a chair and uh, just sit in front of the TV the whole time. Um, a little more traveling, that type of thing. Um, at the moment, beyond that, um, I, at some point, wouldn't mind staying involved two to three days a week doing something somewhere of some magnitude. Worst cases, I've been thinking about uh, heading back to New Prague and going to take, part, take care of some ball fields or something uh, just for fun and taking a few more ball games. So nothing necessarily work-related. However, I won't uh, necessarily close the door to that, but just more just other, other things and uh, more of a laid-back uh, program. Maybe one of these years we can get you to join our opening fishing group and you can teach us a few things on Leech Lake. You're, you're always you welcome to, to be a part of that. <laughs> there you go. That may be, uh, that may be a, a good possibility for sure. Bruce, how about you? I haven't given it much thought yet. I've still got a few more years to go and I'm just, just sitting back thinking of, it's, it's come up every once in a while and I know I have to do something. I'm not a guy to just go home and say, okay, it's, this kind of pandemic, I've done so much damage to my house and the lawn and everything else. And I, I'm not sitting and this is pretty expensive. So if I, if I do retire, I think I have to find something else to do. <laughs> Come on down here to California and uh, we can go to either Del Mar or uh, Santa Anita and you can just tell me which horse to bet on. <laughs> California is my favorite state. That probably be where I end up. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on down. We're bankrupt. We need your money. Even if it's Canadian money, it'll still spend down here. <laughs> uh, what experience have either of you had with driving a Zamboni machine? Bob, you may have driven a rink disaster. I'm sorry, rink master. Um, but <laughs> exactly. Big blue. No, you're 100% right. There was a... Um... A one-year period uh, when about 81, 82, I was put in charge of arena services. And as part of that, I need to be familiar with the, the rank master. And um, so to that end, uh, I had, uh, I think, one or two driving lessons. I think it might have been down in Austin, maybe even, I think. And uh, so I took a couple laps around the ice surface and, of course, was told we you know, had to complete it in, I think, seven to eight minutes at that time. And uh, I, I was able to stay off the boards. I didn't damage anything. The machine still ran. And then uh, probably fortunately, uh, you know, a few months later, I ended up moving into the Dasher department. And that was the end of my driving career. So one and done. Did I've we never, ever get, never get on a, a real ice resurfacer, a Zamboni machine? No, never been on a Zamboni, never operated one. Only the rink master is the, the one and done experience. Wow, we're going to have to get you, uh, before the <laughs> shoes get hung up, we're going to have to get you yeah. on the Zamboni yeah, machine. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Somebody with an old set of boards. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, well, you want to get them on a new set so they maybe buy another set of boards. You know? Oh, there's that, yeah, okay. <laughs> Convenient fire. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Bruce, how about you? Have you driven a Zamboni machine? 
other than to just move it out of my way in the back of the, the new building constructions. That's about it. I've never been on the ice. Gentlemen, what kind of issues have you seen over the years with poor ice resurfacer drivers in regards to dashboards? Bob, Bruce, maybe you guys can tell our listeners what's the worst thing that you've ever seen a bad driver do to a set of dashboards? Bob, you want to kick it off? Sure. No, well, we certainly there, there's two things that seem to happen all the time. I mean, certainly have seen, uh, I forget if it was a rink out east, I believe, where they ran, it might have been some vandals came in and got the machine and ran it right through the, the end wall just for the heck of it. You know, there's that type of thing. But beyond that, it's truly just the fact that um, it, it feels like some people don't realize there is a steering wheel on those things and it's not the boards that are supposed to be guiding it, you know, around the, <laughs> around the corners. And, and for real, he's, well, you, the occasional uh, touch and, and, you know, bump and grind is okay. Is you don't want to be running at 522 lineal feet uh, on the boards because it was never, the boards are never built to take those, whatever, 7,000 pounds. And uh, so we see all kinds of bent frames and certainly, um, on a regular basis, we're repairing gates. And again, certainly we, we truly were thinking about sending you guys, you know, have you on our annual Christmas list for thank yous for, for the machines you do build. The other thing we've often thought is, why is that guide wheel up at like 18 inches? Why don't we put that down by the floor where our boards are stronger? But then again, uh, that may uh, eliminate some of the, the damage and some of the sales. So uh, I guess those are the, the things that we see. Yeah. Bruce, how about you? Yeah, that's that's about it. I think the one picture was at uh, Cox Arena in uh, Oklahoma, where one of the uh, spectators jumped on the machine, fired it up, and then went right through the equipment gate, blew the bolts out of the floor, everything, and just <laughs> laid it down. And it was kind of when you leave your Zam, take your keys with you from now on. <laughs> it's funny. I was talking to a customer yesterday, and we we're talking about different things, and I said. I've talked about writing a book about uh, the things that have gone on in the rink world, but I said nobody would ever buy it because they would never believe that it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I seem to recall when I was young, a long time ago, um, Mr. Hubbard's rink down St. Mary's Point that uh, the machine got stolen, the Zamboni machine got stolen, and they took it down the road and ended up driving it down the embankment towards the river and my dad getting a call <laughs> saying we need to get the machine um, back to the rink and he's where is it and it got explained to him where it was and it was like how did that happen you know? in the same we, prairie yeah between that and i think bob the last time the the rink master was used at augsburg was it caught on fire and it uh, got drug out and put on the football field. And that was the last time I ever remember seeing that machine at Augsburg. <laughs> Is there still one in Anoka? That was the last uh, sighting that I had a number of years ago, I thought. They got they got rid of that uh, and went to the dark side, or even darker side with uh, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> the boys from Elmira. And, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I don't know what happened to that. It's like there used to be a tenant, I think, uh, when tenant was in the business. There was yep. one of those up near Wadena uh, somewhere in a yep. pit. 
that uh, Dale might know where that ended up, but it, it truly <laughs> amazes me for what some, has happened to some of these machines, let alone ours. <laughs> Gentlemen, who would be your biggest sports hero, and have you met them? And if not, who would you most like to meet? And Bruce, we'll kick that off with you. Uh, obviously, uh, Wayne Gretzky for me. And um, I did meet him. I scared him really bad. We were down in the old New Jersey rink, the one in Meadowlands. And for whatever reason, the team came in. He was in New York with New York. And uh, he came in afterwards, drove in his personal vehicle. But there was a little alley that you had to come through. And in the Meadowlands, it was always kind of dark. It was a seedy sort of place in the back of the arena. And I come around the corner, and he just opens up the door and comes in the arena. I also have a worker working with me who's about 6, 7, 250 pounds. And both of us just run over, and we corner him in the corner. We go, oh, Mr. Kresge, it's so nice to meet you. And everything else like that. But the fear on his face when we got to him, like he was like, I'm in the wrong spot. I just got myself in a pile of trouble. <laughs> That night at the game, that night, he didn't play that night at the game. He stood off to the side. But and I, I stayed away from him. I wasn't bothering me. He had people around him and everything else like that. And then uh, it was two nights later, he was up in Montreal, and I was standing at the Zamboni Gate in Montreal. And he went by, and I just gave him a wave. And it was like, holy shit, this guy's following me now. <laughs> It was a Nancy Kerrigan moment. <laughs> oh yeah, I've, I've got a stalk. I've got a stalker. <laughs> yeah. He's got a wrench, and, and he he didn't have Semenko or McSorley to, to yeah. take, take on the boys in the corner. Yeah, he was all alone. <laughs> and how about you, Bobby? You know the about the in a little different twist on it. Um, I guess probably the what sort of cool I thought was the most famous hockey people I have met was, of course, Herb Brooks used to come into Homestead Ice Rinks on a semi-regular basis. That was sort of cool. And, um, of course, I met Bobby Clark out in Philly when I was doing the, the, the Spectrum back in 85. So those are a couple of memorable moments, if you will, even though I, I didn't, I wasn't steeped in hockey as is most of, you know, you guys certainly are, but that was sort of cool. And then, if you will, the ones uh, I would like to meet, uh, really from the baseball side, Harmon Killebrew, which of course is not going to happen. Uh, but to me, that was my that was my boyhood hero because I was all about baseball back growing up. So, yeah, I was fortunate enough. Uh, I had Herb Brooks at a hockey camp when I was a kid, and uh, met him through my father through years. Mm -hmm. um, and he was an amazing man in that he remembered. Uh, people. You could meet him one time and the guy would remember. I ran into him uh, out at uh, LAX one time mm -hmm. and he was standing at the counter. I go, Mr. Brooks, what are you doing here? And he goes, Doug, what are you doing here? And I was like <laughs> stunned that he even remembered who I was. Um, so that, that he, what, what a great guy and what a great psychologist. Yep. Great. I think one of the greatest coaches of all time, but I'm somewhat biased, obviously being from Minnesota right. and Bo Bobby Clark. That's interesting, uh, Bob, in that I had an experience with him down at the, at a bar, uh, shockingly, uh, at an all-star <laughs> event down in Tampa, uh, which I've got a few other stories that I could share that, <laughs> that Paula could share, but uh, we won't go into those. Um, I, I was kind of half expecting you to say Sid Hartman, the uh, fabled, uh, the writer from the the Star and Trip. 
No, the um, actually speaking of star and trivia, uh, your boy Roycey did come out and uh, write an article on our St. Patrick ball team uh, attending one of the games back in the day. But uh, no, aside from that, uh, I should say those guys are a little phony. Those uh, writers, right? They just want to you know kiss up to the the talent. So no, you mean media no, not those is not guys. real. I mean, yeah, really, <laughs> fake news. <laughs> you both had the experience, I believe. I know, Bob, you did for sure. And, Bruce, I'm, I'm thinking that you did as well, of spending time with Bob Negley, the former owner of the Minnesota Wilds. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the finer gentlemen I've ever met in my career. Uh, and I'm just wondering if you guys can share what uh, working for him uh, and with him was like. Sure. Bruce, you want to take the lead or Bob, either or? Jump in. Yeah, so – Probably one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life. Uh, genuine, um, honest, uh, sincere. Uh, just a, a, he, he appreciated me. He appreciated the work I did and told me all the time. Like he'd go out of his way and phone me. Um, uh, one of my best moments with him, it was uh, the Canadian Thanksgiving weekend was coming up. And I was uh, staying in Minnesota. We had lots of work going on. The shop was in Minnesota at the time, in Plymouth. And um, he phoned me up and said, uh, well, you're you're not going home this Thanksgiving weekend. Why don't you fly your wife up and we'll go to the opening game in Minnesota Wild, you, your wife, and my wife. And uh, we got the owner's box all set up. And away we went and spent the afternoon with them and went to the game and just, uh, just a true gentleman. He did so many things for me in my career. Um, just, uh, I, I couldn't say enough about the man. He was by far one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life. Bob, how about you? Yeah. You know, I, I, mine, uh, experience is similar, but maybe a little different perspective. But the, the biggest thing, my takeaway was, um, certainly for most of, uh, my career with Athletica, I was in the sales department and in particular, for a number of years with outside sales, right, for board systems. And I think really the biggest takeaway I had was uh, two things. One is is they truly were innovative marketers and would look at things differently or outside the box or just very creative when it came to market, sales and marketing. And so it's no wonder that they've been successful in marketing the Minnesota Wild and, and promoting you know, the team and hockey and everything. So there's that aspect is you know, I call myself a salesman, but I don't think near as creatively outside the box like they do or, or look at things the way they do. So that was one is just sort of open your eyes to different ways of looking at things. And the other thing was also the connections they had. It was absolutely amazing. So if I'd be a, in against at a bid opening or at a, a potential uh, um, presentation um, and we're trying to land a job, it would be, well, okay, so we met with the chairman of the Hockey Association. Who else do we know within the group? You know, what what other connections do we have? And their ability, um, you know, they were so far reaching these tentacles and within the hockey community that invariably they had other connections to other people associated with this prospect and other ways to reach behind the scenes or up, up front and make connections and help with the, the success of the sale. So just the fact how, how integrated they were into the hockey environment, the community, and the connections they had, it was really amazing. And, and again, different ways to influence a sale, if you will. Sure. Um, Bruce, maybe you can start out and tell us how the Dasher board world has evolved from 
uh, the time that you first got involved into it to where it is now, uh, you know, from welding those plates to the ground that uh, the machines would not be able to uh, get yeah. moved. Uh, and, and just let our listeners know what uh, you think are some of the, the biggest changes in the Dasher board world. Um, yeah, like I say, when I started, it was more of um, send the parts out and we put it together on site and just like carpenters and build a hockey rink and cut holes in plastic and put glass up. And it was a fairly simple process uh, um, to do it. We were going into manufacturing at that time. We were, oh, maybe a 12,000 square foot manufacturing company. And we were starting off in the aluminum dasher boards. We had a few sets out in the NHL. Um, the R&D when I started into it was uh, our seamless tempered glass system that first hit the waves in 95 and then went through the NHL. A lot of teams, especially the new buildings, Montreal Canadiens, Vancouver, Denver, they were all buying this new seamless glass. At that time, we were, we over, we shouldn't say over manufactured, but we, we overbuilt our systems. We didn't know, we didn't have the experience behind the aluminum to say what it was. In those days, we just used a 5356, which is a soft aluminum at the time, but we realized that we were, we were told it was the only aluminum we could bend. So we were doing products, so we made things really heavy, overbuilt them, and we weren't thinking about player safety. It wasn't something that was even being talked about back in those days. Um, then when that seamless system went out there, all of a sudden we started noticing there's more concussions, more shoulder injuries, things like that. It started becoming a subject. And from then we started looking at player safety and developing new systems and that. A lot of it came with uh, the Montreal Canadiens. They were uh, wanting something better. So they basically gave me an open house to their building to do any R&D I wanted in that building. I could do it at any time, just about, other than when the players' skates were on and things like that. But if there was uh, open ice, it was my open ice if I wanted to go in there and do some R&D. So from there, then also our manufacturing, like today, um, from when we started in that 14,000 square foot building, there was probably 20 employees inside that building putting together dashboard systems. Today we have, let's say, 40,000 square feet of manufacturing. Um, we will put in approximately 60 people, if not more. We have room for more, but we have two CNC machines. We have a robot, um, rolling machines, all the stuff we never had before. We used to get our material rolled from another company and we bring it in and cut it up but everything was kind of just stick frame stick built and now there's all the jigs the assembly the everything that goes into building that set of dasher boards um it's a lot to it but it's a lot easier it's a lot easier process but still uh, safety is still the number one concern we're still working on products to uh prevent player injury that's the key that's the main thing is what can we do to make the dashers a little bit safer? We see an incident where somebody gets hurt. How could we, what could we do to prevent that from happening again? So that's our the biggest goal for us, really. Bob, what have you seen change besides evolving from 
uh, set of dasher boards that my dad actually built for uh, the really? old little 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 Ralph Engelstadt Arena, the original uh, that UND played at when he was uh, doing them out of wood, working with a guy in a wood shop and putting Kydex facing on them. Uh, and then from your guys' involvement with Homestead with the steel frame, um, yeah. take us through all of that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is it is sort of amazing when you think back this evolution because um, look, there's a couple of things. One is is how everything sort of comes full circle to some degree. Um, you know, when I got in the business, um, the first set of dashboards I was actually drawing blueprints on was for the Hartford Whalers. And it was a steel system that had three-eighths inch thick uh, high-density polyethylene on it. And I was like, today you'd never put three-eighths facing on a on a dashboard system and expect it to last. Um, you know, because the players are bigger, the sticks are different, the pucks are different. Uh, it wouldn't just wouldn't work. But back then, that was for an NHL team. You know, and, and really, when you go back, you know, back in 79, there were three dasher companies that were pre-manufacturing systems, right? You had... Um, Homestead Ice Rink, certainly building wood frame boards, two by six wood frame with plywood and poly face. You had the steel frame board system, the plywood and poly. And then you had, um, well, eventually then we had the fiberglass system that was designed and patented by Tipman Engineering out of Fort Wayne. Um, in the 70s, they had, what, over 70 installations, including like four NHL rinks, actually. Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and Maryland, to name three, actually played on those boards. And then Homestead bought Tipman and you know, 1980, 81, and brought it into Minneapolis. So that, and then the other one is, is a Safeway, right? Where you used to run into Safeway dasher boards, which to me was like the first factory prefabricated board system out there. I think they're made in Milwaukee, if I remember right. And what was unique about them was they were 10 foot sections. We don't see a board system today made in 10 foot sections, but those are standard, including what the, you know, Lake Placid Olympics and stuff had played on back then in the 70s and 80s type deal. So, the interesting part is everything was, uh, you know, for the most part back then, water, steel, and the acrylic shielding. And and back in the 80s, the biggest driver was, well, how can you build a system that's more maintenance-free, if you will, or and or breaks less? So we start building these bigger, heavier steel frame structures, get rid of the supports on the back to make it easier for housekeeping and trip hazards, aesthetics, go to tempered glass because there's going to be less maintenance with it. And now, you know, six, eight, ten years through that, and it's, well, now there's different reactions because now you're getting the stiffness, you're getting the injuries, you're getting the weight, you're getting, you know, the, the inconvenience of replacing glass and this whole player safety thing. And so now you're going back full circle where rinks, now we're going back, of course, to can we make a more flexible board system or lighter board system or put a shielding system that's more uh, player friendly. So that to me is sort of the amazing part. We're really coming almost full circle from where we were, you know, 30, 30 years ago, that type of thing. Yeah, things have changed quite a bit. And it's you, you brought up Safeway. Weren't they the ones that uh, built the dasher boards for the St. Paul Civic Center that were clear, uh, that Thank had the acrylic, fa acrylic facing to them? That's exactly right. They had, if I remember right, it was a three-quarter inch acrylic face but then it became a challenge to get three-quarter inch when they would break one and then actually start putting on 5-8 Lexan on those boards. Exactly. And after they were taken out of the Civic Center, uh, they had a second life down in Florida someplace, actually. They were the ones. Yeah, they're sort yeah. of uh, boards of fame just because of the sort of notoriety of seeing a system like that. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's if you go back to the old footage of state high school hockey tournament or the St. Paul Fighting Saints of uh, the WHA, um, they mm-hmm. were clear boards and uh, there were stories about hockey players trying to uh, determine whether they were distracted by some young ladies sitting in the, the front row of those. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure if those are true stories or if they're not true stories. I never uh, was yeah. able, I'm never good enough to skate uh, where I would have been playing to determine. The <laughs> to be determined yet, I guess. Yeah. Um, Bruce, could you maybe let our listeners know what are some of the challenges that uh, you're faced with in providing door, I'm providing boards that range the full spectrum of a small community rink to that that's used in the NHL? I guess it's making sure the customer gets what he's really needs. Um, Sometimes it's hard to explain to somebody that some of the safety features we have are not mandated right today, but we know they're coming. So example, soft cap and things like that. So you're in there, you're talking to the customers and they're not really quite sold on the safety part of of the dasher board. So as you're going along, trying to get them to, to buy into it, and some people are just firm that it's not, not necessary in their buildings, and some people are, yeah, it's uh, give me everything you got and make it even better than that. Than that. But uh, it's, I guess, uh, the, the biggest challenge is trying to make sure that when we sell somebody a set of dasher boards that three years from now, we're not going back and doing a big retrofit on them because we didn't educate the customer enough about what's coming down the pike. And there is a lot of changes as we see in the OHL, AHL right now happening on. So it's, um, that's probably the biggest challenge we'll, we'll have is making sure. And then the quality um, conversion building versus the community rink, small community rink, Asher boards will last a long time because they're not coming in and out. Whereas in the high end buildings where they're coming in and out, that's probably when the dasher board's the weakest that it is. And making sure that they have the right system for their building, that they're not buying a set of dasher boards and then realizing five years later, 10 years later, that there's a whole bunch of work that needs to be done on these because they didn't get the system they were really, really needing, which would be more of a conversion rink. So those are kind of the challenges, just educating the customer. Bob, could you maybe uh, let the listeners know the the varial, variable dashboard systems that you guys have? Because you've got the the Becker product line that uh, was acquired by Athletica, the Athletica line, and then I believe Sport Systems is that uh, also part of your guys' portfolio. So maybe the differences between uh, the different sets of boards. Yeah, absolutely. You know, without getting into all the the minute details or minutia, is really I guess it it, it sort of um, boils down to at, at the top of the line, we certainly have what we continue to call the Cristoflex brand products, which would be like the Cristoflex 6A, our flagship product that's used in all the conversion rinks, professional arenas, that type of thing. And so it's a welded six inch aluminum system and a whole long laundry list of bells and whistles and features you can apply to it. And in particularly all the different safety features. Um, right up, if you will, right below that or next to that would be uh, what was the sports systems flagship product, which was their pro series, which was a five inch aluminum system, uh, but it was a mechanically fastened five inch aluminum system like um, curtain walls are on, on uh, building structures. Um, so that being a little more economical system um, and, and something more for a more permanent installation. So you get those two aluminum systems 
and both of those being built up in Waterloo, Ontario. Uh, then the next one, and I'm not saying necessarily in descending order, but next one on the list in terms of a product line would be uh, the flagship, if you will, for the for the Becker Group, which is the the success steel system, right? A six inch uh, wide welded steel system. Um, you know, there's certainly the the hard, not the hardcore, but the the, the followers of that just have the comfort level with the steel framework, the galvanized steel, more of a permanent installation. It's a 250 pound panel or 300 pound panel and the good durable products. So you got the six inch steel. Uh, and then below that, or in addition to that, also with, with across all three lines, which would be either the Athletica or the Becker or the Cascadia for that matter, there also are some lighter duty inline systems, the, the Infinity Soccer System, our Infinity Inline System is a three inch frame and a five inch frame. So I think what it boils down to is we've got at least uh, three different uh, ice rink offerings and then a number of different inline and soccer offerings below that. Um, if I can take this one other direction back to that previous question yet where Bruce is, there's there's two challenges I you know see as again being out you know over the years selling dashboard systems. One is the biggest challenge is trying to identify really what the driver of this sale is going to be or what the the core the primary requirement is. And to that end is you certainly have some customers who it's purely economical or e economy based. What is the cheapest system I can get? That's what the decision is going to be all about. There's the other aspect that Bruce alluded to, which is safety. Everybody, for the most part, everybody's concerned with safety. No one wants anybody getting hurt on their in their facility. Having said that, there's a price tag with the safety. And many times what happens is people express interest in the safety products that, yes, they would like them. But as soon as they see the price tag, oh, well, that becomes a secondary consideration. Um, and but, but by the same token, there's certainly some situations where the hockey coach is carrying a lot of weight or the owner, you know, whatever has, is carrying weight where, you know, budgets are concerned, but we really are more concerned with safety. Um, and then the other part is, of course, just the fact whether they're permanent or conversion, which one performs better. But just the challenge of trying to figure out, well, everybody will tell you all these things are important. What's the real driver? That it truly is one of the core challenges. Um, the second thing is, is that, and I don't know if people realize this, but it's something I've come to realize over the years being on the inside. Um, obviously, there's a level of performance and expectation and specifications that we set forth as a company in terms of how our systems should perform. And where I'm going with this is, let's take the, the polyethylene facing, for example. Um, we... When when we're in the office here, there are people knocking on our door wanting us to buy or make polyethylene for us. You could, let's say there's 10 different companies who can do it. Those companies also make polyethylene products for pontoons or for boat docks or for barrels or for all kinds of different activities, skis for slides and all kinds of things. And the issue is, is these extruders are bringing to you a product or a resin that is potentially might be what they can get the best buy on. They bought a truckload because they have to make 50,000 barrels. And oh, by the way, they'll happy to make us some white sheets out of it. And oh, they'll give us a really good price. 
that's all great, but it may not have the right impact resistance at a cold temperature that we require, or may not have consistent gloss or consistent color. One of the easy ways to reduce polyethylene costs is to introduce regrind back into it, your offcuts. Well, as soon as you do regrind, that infects the impact strength and your coloration and, the, and the, the consistency of it. So my point being, as a company, after being in this business for a you know, long time, that's one of the things we pride ourselves on is we truly have great products and we aren't necessarily the cheapest spread. We'd like to be competitive, but my point being, we have all kinds of competitors who will listen to this guy knocking on the door and who will buy that next cheaper thing where we're going to be, no, you know what? We've got too much at stake here. We have our own set of specifications. We're not going to go down that road. We need the quality stuff. So just we want people to realize that there's behind-the-scene differences within these products, and more often than not, if it's cheaper, more often than not, there can be a reason why it is, like anything else, like in same, I'm sure, in your business as well. There are differences, and you need to dig beneath the surface to find them. Correct. You can't skimp on quality. And, you know, it's one of the things I've talked about. You get what you pay for. I'm not uh, necessarily on a personal standpoint, do I buy the most expensive thing, but I try to buy the best value because the last thing I want to be doing is buying the same thing over and over and over again. So uh, exactly. you get, you, you truly get what you pay for. Um, Bob, you had uh, made reference to um, lasting stuff for a long time in the industry. Uh, we all have got that. Uh, so what I'd like to ask of both of you, and um, we'll start out with Bruce, who are some of the people who've had a lasting influence on you in your career uh, in the ice rink world? And what is it that they taught or told you that still sticks with you today? Um, Bob Nagley would be one that, from when I first took over a manufacturing manager's position in the company, he came down and visited. And uh, he gave me some words of wisdom on that trip around the, the shop. And it was, uh, it was pretty interesting stuff about hiring people and things that we were going through as, as a company at that time. And he just took that time up, but it kind of set me on my way as when, when I was running manufacturing as to, how to be hiring people and what to be looking for in people and things like that. That was a pretty important part of it. Um, Dougie Moore was one, like I said, my lunch meals with him were really important. Um, him being able to tell me like just the, the players and uh, the people to go around in that, especially at the NHL level. Um, it was pretty important, that part. And uh, then uh, his replacement, Dan Craig, um, not coming from the refrigeration side, but just more or less from the dashboard side, understanding how those two work together and and um, the importance of it. And then all through that player safety was kind of uh, driven with Dan Craig and quite a few people in the NHL. But Dan Craig's taught me a lot about the industry too. Uh, quite Actually, I'd say Dan Craig out of all would be in the, the most important person of saying, here's, a, here's the road to go down, so. He's been involved in an awful lot, and we hope to get him uh, when his days are wrapped up at the mm -hmm. NHL to join us for a podcast as well. Oh, Bobby, absolutely. how about you? Um, you know, I, I get, to be honest, I got to say Dick Holmston. It really has had the biggest influence because early on, right, is um, 
brought in and we need some expansion joint in Wilmer because the Wilmer rink was going in or, or like I said, a, a rink floor has got to be supervised or there's an evap condenser need to be set out in Salt Lake City. I'd never seen evap condenser before. Okay. And uh, basically it was, is you got to do what you got to do to get it done. And, and, and also no matter what you think your position is or your, what you're hired for, your title is, we all wear all the hats and, and, and everybody's interchangeable, if you will. And that, that really stuck with me. Not, not that I had uh, visions of grandeur or that, you know, had some special prestigious title, but just that everybody from the president on down would, would pitch in and do what you have to do to take care of customers. And, and that's huge. And that's the way it should be, right? It all, it's all about the end of the day about taking care of our, our customer base. And the only other one, which is really doesn't come from the ice rink part, but I, to me, it's just so key. And as be honest, my father, it's your word is your bond and you tell it the way it is. There's only one truth and you do what you say. And that's the end of it. There's no discussion. There's no debate. And, and that's, that's the way it is. That, that's the right way to go about your, about your life. And, and that applies to everything. I think. That's, that's great stuff. And mm -hmm. it, it's something that I think uh, for the younger listeners out there, um, they can learn a little bit about uh, things if they're in a company. And I look at it with Richard Zamboni. Um, you know, if he's walking in the shop and he can bend over to pick up a piece of paper, you know, something to throw it in the garbage mm -hmm. that's laying on the floor, that's the president and the owner of the company. He's setting an example that nobody, you know, there, there's nothing that is beneath him. Uh, to do, and, and I think some of that's been lost a little bit uh, in in today's world, and, and it's it's disappointing. And it's also great to hear um, the reverence for your father, Bob. You're a lucky man to have that uh, taught to you, uh, and that you've carried it on. And it's a, a great sign of respect. Yeah, right on. No, no, you're right. I think said is um, some of these traits. It, it at least it feels like they're lost sometimes within the world that we're living in, and it may be not be, but uh, not always noticeable. Uh, gentlemen, how do you guys see the ice rink world evolving in the future? And Bruce, maybe you kick it off. And uh, this is going to be the last question before we get to the foodie questions, which are the real important part of the podcast. Um, with this pandemic, it's hard to predict anything, but uh, I'm hoping we see more new buildings. I'm hoping to see that the industry starts uh, – Better buildings, just start putting up better buildings for these uh, facilities, better places for people to gather. There's uh, some places where the, the barns are pretty old and dilapidated. Um, I think a community, uh, they have a, a nice place to go and it's uh, facilitate for families to be to gather and things like that would be uh, the future I would like to see. I think I think those are good words, Bob. How about you? What are your thoughts? You know, yeah, you know, I think I don't know. To me, the biggest I think challenge really certainly is financially to making the stuff go, making making it work. And I almost wonder if you know. Well, I, I think a lot of things. I think the pandemic taught us a lot of things about how much staff do you need, how many people need to be where, do they need to be on site? Can you do things remote? And there's that whole. Uh, learn, learn, I guess, business curve, if you will, that we learned over last year. Um, I almost, I just think that um, what it, what really what the driver is going to be is we're going to have to have business models for these, for arenas, which obviously they're financially sound. 
You got to have minimal overhead. You got to be very efficient at what you do. I also think that to some degree, it's going to be like it, it felt like over the years, over over many years, that uh, somebody would, some group would go out and want to build an ice rink just because it was inconvenient to drive 30 miles to take their kid to practice, or because the practice time was going to be at night. And so they could get enough parents and the economy's good and let's go build a rink. Well, that's great. They built the rink, they throw it up, the place is in disrepair. And yeah, they're keeping it open because the economy is doing okay. But I, I almost question if, I don't think that, I feel like they can't continue or we can't, there won't be sustainable, those casual type situations like that. And everything's going to have to be much more of a solid business plan. I think there's that part of it and, and really controlled in their cost and their structure and that part. And then you also really wonder where this whole management group thing is going, right? Is it, uh, you know, the, the black bears of the world and the other management groups that are out there, out there running multiple buildings, does that end up being the wave of the future? I'm not sure that it is, but certainly there's a bit of a trend that way, right? In terms of, um, I imagine some efficiencies to be gained efficiencies in the way they, their administration and operation of these facilities and whether it's good long-term, I guess, remains to be seen. Yeah, you talked uh, previously in the conversation about uh, the circle um, and things coming full circle. Mm -hmm. And I know back in my earlier days in the industry, there's uh, ice capade chalets that were out there. Mm -hmm. And there there were the May <laughs> brothers that uh, were going to conquer the world in yeah. ice rinks. And uh, the NHL was going to do a thousand ice rinks and, uh, you know, a right. few others. And if I had a nickel for every entity that said, they're going to do a thousand rinks. I had been retired long ago. So, and not, not a one of them ever hit the thousand rinks <laughs> that, that I'm aware of now. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm oblivious to some yeah. of it, but uh, the things, things have a way of, of working out. And I think some of it has to do with timing. And I, I think black bear is an interesting group in that um, they're entering into the, the world, taking a look at things that they can uh, make some money on. And I think that they're finding facilities that, uh, people are, you know, getting to the exit strategy of how, what are they going to do uh, to to exit out of their work life and into mm -hmm. their 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 next chapter of life. So, mm -hmm. um, interesting topics, uh, yep. you know, to to discuss. Yep. On to my favorite part of the podcast, which is the food portion of it. <laughs> and I know Bob, you've got to be a big fan of this one because. You are a Minnesotan, and these are easily accessible. Are you a White Castle guy, yay or nay? Uh, I'd be a nay on that. I'll do them, but they're not my uh, – I wouldn't uh, drive two miles necessarily to go there. I'd be a nay. <laughs> and, and how about you, Bruce? You've had to have the opportunity in your time in Minnesota to experience the deliciousness that is White Castle. Mine was in Knoxville, Tennessee. That was the first and only time. <laughs> well, you know, now if you'd have had these down in Australia, you'd have been straight sober and been able to fly without a problem if you'd have had some white castles to sop up that alcohol. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and you got to have the old, the whole experience. You can't go through the drive-through. You've got to go inside and watch those burgers being steamed and the onions poured on top of them. The little holes that allow the onions to seep through. It's great stuff. <laughs> Bob, where is your favorite food place? Is it down in New Prague or is it somewhere Ooh. in the cities or Ooh. somewhere elsewhere Ooh. in the country? 
you know, that's, wow. Um, you know, probably my favorite food place was uh, when I went back to the Czech Republic, which is where our ancestors came from about 10 years ago. And we're all about pork and dumplings and sauerkraut and those types of things. I mean, that's that's high up on my list. Um, I mean, my the probably the favorite go-to, which I've jumped around here a little bit, is the is the steak, a barbecued steak or something, a grilled steak. But uh, I think the just in general, Prague and the Czech Republic would be high on my list in terms of one of my favorites of all time. And of course, a lot of beer at very reasonable <laughs> rates. <laughs> maybe maybe you ought to go down to New Ulm. I, I understand there's a a few Germans down there with some yeah. beer and maybe some sauerkraut that you, the, you can get. There you go. Fit, fit right in. Germans, Czechs, right? We're all the same neighborhood. There you go. Bruce, how about you? Mine, uh, mine is uh, fast food is Chipotle's and uh, nice dinner food is Chris, uh, Ruth Chris. Those are the kind of two spots I kind of trust when I'm out on the road. And... <laughs> yeah, they, and they're, they're usually pretty safe. Yeah. Either of you, you gentlemen, uh, you know, my pizza is my to go thing. I, I had one for dinner last night and um, I will go from L.A. to Boston, not eating anything on the airplane uh, and go to Santapio's and they've got barbecue. You can get uh, either lamb, sausage or steak tips. And there's nothing better than spending uh, an hour to two with uh, several good buddies out there naming one of them, uh, Eddie Peduto, and then there's a certain blind referee, John Gravelisi, whose <laughs> birthday's coming up on Monday, uh, that uh, enjoy having a double garlic. Now, the, the cleaning ladies in the hotel room that I spend the night in are probably not as fond of that pizza as I am, but um, it's, it, it's a very, very good pizza. And if you guys have never had it, um, it is the last local exit on the way into Logan, or you can get there um, by circling around coming out on the way out of there. Um, best meal ever that you've had, Bob? Best meal ever. Um, yes, it would just be, uh, it would just, I, I can't say one particular sticks in mind. There was a, um, it would just be in uh, some places with a good steak and, and some seafood, right? A little lobster go with or something, you know, surf and turf type deal. But there's no one particular place that uh, really stands out, I guess. Bruce, how about you? I guess my uh, memorable one would be um, it was in Sturgis at a, a biker's bar. It was uh, Sturgis wasn't on at that time. But um, I was sitting there eating beef tips, and it was a place where Donnie Mac used to always go with Sturgis. He took his trailer out there, his motor home, and his bike and that. And because I was there, I called him. I said, guess where I am? And he knew exactly the restaurant. He knew what I was eating, the beef tips. And, and it was just a, a memorable moment sitting there on the phone, chit-chatting with him over this meal, only to, uh, I think it was a month or month and a half later, him calling me from the same restaurant saying, guess where I'm at? <laughs> so that was, that was one of <laughs> That's great. Okay, gentlemen, last question I'm going to have for you is, and we'll start this out with Bob. Who are your sports teams that uh, you root for, follow, uh, are passionate about? All right, fair enough. Um, certainly the Minnesota Twins are my number one, even though I'm, I've become a bit of a fair weather fan, certainly with uh, what we've been going through lately. But they're always one of my, my primary go-tos. 
Um, beyond that, I'm a little bit jaded, right? I started now uh, rooting for the um, hockey team in any particular year, which becomes, which is one of my better customers. So, and that one moves around a little bit, right? Or whoever wins the cup, right? But uh, I certainly uh, have, uh, over the years, uh, you know, the Kings obviously are on my radar, and certainly now the the guy, the Knights, that group, and the, the Avalanche guys is all good customers. So I'm a little bit biased that way in terms of. Uh, rooting for the customers that, that we do a lot of stuff with. What about the North Stars or the Minnesota Wild? Yeah, you're, you're right. That, that little bit of errors and omissions there. <laughs> that was a, whoops. <laughs> I should be uh, slighting them. Exactly. <laughs> we'll put that as an amendment. <laughs> and Bruce, we're, we're waiting you... for some... I'm sorry, I'm waiting sorry. for some vic some victories there uh, and the few more playoff victories before we get on that bandwagon totally. There you yeah. go. There you yep. go. Bruce, how about you? So in our house, um, it was, uh, it was uh, growing up as a kid, it was a, uh, a big hockey house. Um, and my, my father passed away when we were young. Anyways, there was somebody in selling my mom something. It was either furnace or insurance or whatever. And part of the deal was you buy this and here's these pictures, those paintings. And there was a group of two of each set and one was landscaping and flowers. But there was one of hockey and it was uh, Stan Makita and Bobby Hall and two different pictures. And so my brother, he banged hockey and he was, he was the older one. So I was hockey and my mom's sitting there and my little sister, she turned around and said, hockey, or Bobby All and Stan Makita. So when you walked into our house, there was a sunken in entrance. You looked up the top of the stairs and there was Bobby Hall. And you looked down the hall and there was Stan Makita. <laughs> it was just one of those things. So I grew up as a Chicago Blackhawks fan. But as, as Bob says, as time goes on and with all the customers, and sometimes it could be the worst team in the world, but they're the greatest customers in the world and the greatest people to go see, visit their building and everything else like that. You still vote for that team to, to make it, right? It's just it's the people in the building that, that make it. And then other other than that, NFL would be the Vikings just because my short stint in Minnesota, and that's what made me a Vikings fan. So <laughs> don't don't do that to yourself. Yeah, again, heartbroken again. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a Minnesotan, you're used to losing, but you're Canadian. Well, let's yeah. see. You're Toronto not, Maple Leafs. You're not a Leaf fan, so you're. <laughs> uh, the saying here this year was um. Four things you're not supposed to believe in when you grow up as an adult is the Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and the Maple Leafs. <laughs> Mar I'm going to have to run that one by Marty and see if, uh, see, see if he buys into that. That works. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I want to thank you for uh, a small trip down memory lane, talking to two guys who I consider legends in our industry. Uh, it's been a, a great time and I look forward to maybe we get to do this again because I'm sure there's a few more stories uh, that can be shared, can be edited to protect the innocent and uh, call out the not, the, the not so innocent in the world. And we can uh, get uh, together and share some stories about uh, Mr. Tom Conroy, uh, who's been in the industry for a while as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of these days, he's going to get on a, a podcast with us. So oh, uh, any so. closing comments from either one of you? 
No, I, I guess I would just say, uh, you know, truly, obviously, we appreciate all of the friendship and support from from yourself and the Zamboni group, and as well as certainly the other uh, the other players in the industry, as far as the vendors and supplier group, and as well as truly just appreciate everything uh, that our customers do and and uh, support they give us, and uh, and then the friendship as well. So just thanks, you know, truly to everybody. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Bruce. Yeah, that's about the same. It's uh. Thank you very much for having us on in this, and it, it is it is good to sit down and chat and go down memory lane. It's uh, <laughs> brings back a lot of a lot of old memories, doesn't it, Bob? <laughs> oh my God! Tonight, well, for the rest of the afternoon, we'll be, the things will be uh, yeah, popping we'll in our mind. My, my best story with Bob with Bob Vinoka was he was the, the installation manager back in '95, <laughs> and I was installing that rink in Montreal. <laughs> And Bob says to me, he's new at the job, or what? Well, and both of us had only met maybe once for a half an hour. And so he calls me up and says, "When are you finishing up in Montreal? I have a a customer in Cornwall <laughs> that wants you to stop in and weld up a frame for him." And I says, "I'm probably not getting out of here till about seven, eight o'clock tonight." And he says, "Okay." And he calls me back and says, "All right, I got it. the building be open up for you and everything else like that." He's found a guy. A rental company that's going to deliver me an aluminum welding machine, which is hard to come by back alone, like 1995. Three o'clock in the morning, I pull into an Indian reservation with four RCMP surrounding my vehicle. What are you doing here? And I'm trying to explain it. And then this this rental company pulls up with the welding machine. And so then the cops believe us. We go into the building and. Uh, the, the operations manager or ICE reserve officer, he was um he was uh, overtaken by propane fumes. I'm pretty sure it was something else, but he said it was propane fumes. Um, so <laughs> the night just got more interesting. But I sat there. I left there at 4:30 in the morning, going, "This guy's really good. Like anyone that can pull a stunt off like this." <laughs> Get off to a running start. There. Oh. oh my god! I got I got one last. I'm sorry. One last thing. Yep. I, I like um, Bruce's anecdote, and I, <laughs> it hits home, right? He said uh, when uh, Christoplex bought Strut, there were two things that were gained for collateral. One was our 2C support, and one was Bob Anoka. <laughs> I don't yeah, know which one's exactly right. That's the it. other. No, I do good things had, that came yeah, out of that. And the only that things purchase. we have left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, oh. gentlemen, I want to thank you very much. This has been a pleasure for me to uh, listen to you guys. Bob, you've mm -hmm. been a great friend over the mm -hmm. years, as have you, Bruce. Yeah. Um, Bob and I go back a little bit longer, but uh, I consider you both on the same par. And it's yeah. always great to, to see you and chat with you. All right. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay in touch. Great. We want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode, please email your questions or request to info at Zamboni.com. For more information and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you an ice day. <laughs>